Our last uh, speaker for the day uh, is someone well-known, again, to you San Franciscans, because he's one of you, uh, Alexander Manto, professor of medicine uh, here at UCSF. He is one of the forward-looking hepatologists. There are a lot of others who look in the other direction, but uh, he won't tell any of them, uh, who very early on recognized the impact that uh, directly acting um, antivirals are going to have on uh, the treatment of hepatitis C, and has been uh, one of the key players in helping us sort out how best to use them. He's going to talk out uh, today about what to do when they don't work uh, in terms of uh, follow-up uh, of uh, uh, treatment for people who have had failure of a previous regimen. So uh, please uh, welcome uh, Alex Monto. Thanks, Chair. So uh, for quite a different topic now, uh, talking about uh, a, a disease where the drug development is at a very different stage, um, but for us, you know, very exciting, uh, as you all know. It's a lot of fun to be able to, um, you know, be using medicines uh, like you folks have had in the, uh, in the HIV field for, uh, for many years that are very effective and uh, using them together and figuring out uh, quite a bit more about them. The other thing, I, I think there was a poll um, at the beginning where folks talked about um, how much hepatitis C they're treating. Um, and so I, I would, uh, I, I think it was about 50% of people were treating some generally in co-infected HIV, HCV co-infected uh, patients. And so uh, as a hepatologist, um, I, I would encourage all of you to continue to have an active role with these patients. Um, particularly, uh, you know, the details of their um, antiretroviral regimen, really important in uh, thinking about how to use the hep C drugs. And so uh, you guys are critical partners um, to those of us who may be uh, more focused on their hepatitis C. And so uh, it, it is important for, uh, for you guys to kind of remain the, the primary overseers of how somebody's HIV is doing and be sure that um, while their hepatitis C is being managed, their, their HIV is being looked after as well. So uh, hopefully a big partnership um, and uh, we can continue to, uh, you know, do very well with our new hepatitis C drugs in all of our patients, including our HIV positive patients. So in terms of learning objectives, um, I'd like after you've uh, heard my talk to be able to identify who needs hepatitis C retreatment and in what time frame, um, assess the different types of hepatitis C treatment failure, uh, recognize when to order HCV resistance testing. So of course, uh, we just heard in these prior talks about all the details that uh, you guys understand about your patients. You know, this is the first year uh, really that uh, hepatitis C resistance testing is coming into clinical use, has some import. So uh, we'll talk about that a little bit and uh, give you an introduction to uh, how we're thinking about it currently, uh, as well as to compare the benefits of current and future um, hepatitis C combination regimens. So um, I, I also think that for those of you who are not actively treating, you, you know, it is a field that uh, is moving pretty quickly, you know, for once. Uh, the hepatitis C treatment field uh, has really accelerated, obviously, from the early 2000s until about 2010, nothing much happened. All we had was pegylated interferon and ribavirin. And so things have uh, really been moving along quite a pace. And I want to be sure that, again, anybody who's hearing the talk um, has some working knowledge of, of the therapies that are, uh, that are here now. 
Um, so in terms of abbreviations, the soft LDV, uh, so phosphivir-lidiposphere uh, combination therapy is a single pill, also called Harvoni as its trade name. Uh, the uh, the Pro-D regimen, three hepatitis C drugs, paratapravir boosted with ritonavir, as well as umbidosphere dasabuvir. Uh, the grizopravir and elbisvir uh, combination, which was just FDA approved um, in uh, January, combination of a hepatitis C protease inhibitor and an NS5A inhibitor. Um, Decladosphere, which is a, uh, a standalone NS5A inhibitor that can be used uh, in combination with other regimens. Uh, we'll also touch at the end on sofosbuvir velpatosphere, which is a treatment regimen that um, is likely going to be FDA approved next month. And so it's, it's a regimen that we're looking forward to. The data have uh, been pretty well developed with this regimen as well. The RBV stands for ribavirin when you see it, DAA for direct-acting antivirals, uh, which is one of the terms used to describe our current multidrug uh, hepatitis C therapies. And uh, we talk about RAVs or resistance-associated variants or RAPs, polymorphisms. Um, so these are um, uh, changes in a specific hep C gene that can be associated with lower viral susceptibility. Um, so just to have some of the terminology. Other current general points, um, CURE is now very genotype and subtype specific. So um, uh, genotype 2, uh, which for a long time was our most curable infection, uh, remains that way. Um, but these days, genotype 1B actually responds very well to therapy. So um, uh, unlike previously when genotype 1 patients were told, well, you have the bad type, again, we do very well with genotype 1B um, with our current therapies. Uh, easier to cure than uh, a lot of patients with genotype 1A, and genotype 3 um, actually lags a little bit uh, behind, and so it's actually probably one of our uh, most challenging genotypes to cure. Um, in terms of the terminology, of course, SVR12 or a sustained virological response, uh, which is a negative HCV RNA 12 weeks after treatment is now kind of our standard outcome. Previously, we had to wait about six months or 24 weeks um, to say that the patient was cured. Um, but again, uh, for, for those of you who are familiar with HIV, it's one of the things that, uh, of course, makes uh, hepatitis C kind of fun. You give the patients drugs, uh, you know, or regimens for three months, and then you're talking about them being cured. Uh, never again viremic on no medication. So uh, again, a very different uh, paradigm, fortunately for us uh, who, who are working with the virus. Um, SVRs in non-serotics are also uh, generally um, going to be higher than in serotics. So a serotic patient uh, with uh, the different regimens often going to have a little bit of a uh, lower response rate. So um, this is a, uh, a graph as we march through time of uh, drugs entering our field. So uh, here we are in the second quarter of 2016. Here's 2015 going backward, 2014. And so here's grisopravir and elbisphere, uh, plus or minus ribavirin, uh, you know, being approved during the first quarter of this year. Um, here is the soft velpatosphere, which we're expecting uh, next month, uh, able to be used across genotypes um, in, uh, across patients with severity of cirrhosis from CHOWPU A all the way to CHOWPU class C. So uh, this is the, the regimen that we're hotly anticipating. Um, going back in time, decladosphere uh, was just FDA approved in August. So this is particularly active against genotype 3 or genotype 2 in the United States. 
Here is our sulfodiposphere plus or minus ribavirin, which uh, became available in late 2014. Again, our Pro-D uh, regimen, plus or minus ribavirin. Um, uh, significantly greater activity for genotype 1B with this regimen. Um, uh, genotype 1A actually requires ribavirin. And um, like the grisoprevir and elbosphere, um, the safety of these two regimens in patients with more advanced cirrhosis, so a patient with ascites, um, uh, somewhat questioned, and so these drugs are, are not generally considered safe in those child pew class B, child pew class C patients, uh, need to be used with a lot of caution, um, and, uh, you know, probably generally not used. Um, however, Harvoni or Sofladiposphere plus or minus ribavirin, again, uh, safe uh, throughout patient populations, uh, again, pangenotypic, which is one of the reasons it's been used um, so much recently. And then before, we had sofosbuvir um, uh, receiving FDA approval in late 2013, as well as the combination of sofosbuvir and semeprevir, um, which came into common use, particularly in 2014. So that's been uh, our, our recent drug development. In terms of thinking about our uh, classes of drugs themselves, so initially uh, shown in green here, so this is the hepatitis C genome with its uh, structural proteins and non-structural proteins here, again, single-strand uh, RNA virus. This NS3 and 4A are called the protease. So in green here are our protease inhibitors, particularly telaprevir, bosepravir, which um, uh, came into clinical use in uh, 2011. Um, and uh, so here are some of the protease inhibitors, like grisoprevir is one of our uh, new ones, paratapravir, uh, part of a, a pro-D regimen. So uh, you'll note these are generally uh, particularly used for genotypes 1 and 4, um, reasonably potent, but a lot with a fairly low barrier to resistance, okay? So protease inhibitors are important. These were the first um, uh, DAAs that we had in our treatment field. Um, and you, you can see we now have uh, six of them that we can talk about. Um, but uh, again, uh, we do see uh, resistance sometimes to these agents. It turns out one of the things that we've come to understand this year is that, um, again, uh, I, I know many in this audience, all in this audience are used to thinking about resistance. Um, protease inhibitor resistance, um, it's not clear how much clinical significance it has at times, uh, again, because we have three main uh, classes of drugs, uh, patients can be treated with other classes, and, and so it's not uh, uh, currently as clinically significant for us um, as uh, mutations or RAVs that are derived from NS5A inhibitors. So NS5A inhibitors, uh, which are shown uh, kind of in this orange bar here, here's the uh, NS5A uh, portion of the hepatitis C genome, include uh, drugs like ledipasphere, which is a part of the soft lead uh, uh, combination. Again, you can note that potency here is very high for NS5A inhibitors, which is why they're really an important part of uh, many of our current combination regimens. Um, but again, barrier to resistance, uh, low to medium. Um, and uh, so uh, these are important regimens, but NS5A resistance mutations, as I'll mention again later, is the thing that uh, we're really kind of struggling with the most. So these are the most important resistance mutations currently. Um, and uh, again, we'll go through some data about, you know, how we're thinking about treating them at this point. And then um, the NS5B or polymerase inhibitors, uh, again, 
uh, four that, that can be kind of thought of actively. The two in clinical use are sofosbuvir, our uh, kind of uh, magic drug, which really has this high barrier, barrier to resistance, which has made it special among all these drugs. High potency, pangenotypic, high barrier to resistance. Um, Desabuvir, which is part of the Pro-D regimen, again, only active against genotype 1, um, not as potent, and with a lower barrier to resistance. So, um, uh, again, uh, for those of you who are experienced with thinking about, you know, large numbers of drugs, I think uh, it's important to think as we're going through about uh, how we combine our different classes. So uh, just stepping back and talking about hepatitis C uh, epidemiology for, uh, for a few minutes, this is a study uh, published in 2011 which shows um, deaths uh, due to hepatitis C uh, rising, and of course here we are in 2016, so uh, many of you have seen the projections about you know, there's more cirrhosis still coming. Um, the deaths due to hepatitis C are going to peak in the next 10 to 20 years. Um, this is decompensated cirrhosis on this uh, lower line here. And this is hepatocellular carcinoma, which is the worst complication of, uh, of hepatitis C. And um, so in this study, they were assuming about uh, 2.7 million uh, infected uh, uh, patients in primary care, and they assumed that about one and a half million of these uh, would eventually develop cirrhosis. So um, w one might say that this uh, may be uh, maybe even a high estimate. We tend to think that probably about 30% of hepatitis C patients, if left untreated, uh, may eventually develop cirrhosis. So I think if we're you know projecting half, you know. Uh, that, that may be a little bit of a high estimate. The other question is, um, uh, you know, we talk a lot about how many real hepatitis C infections are there in the United States, and this study says 2.7 million. Um, some numbers go up to five or six million uh, with, again, many uh, baby boomers uh, who we know are now at risk for hepatitis C still ha not having been diagnosed. So remember that the CDC recommended that any baby boomer, anybody born between 1945 and 1965, be screened for the presence of, of uh, past hepatitis C. It, it is very much of a birth cohort uh, disease in the United States right now. And so um, uh, paying attention and additional testing is something that I think all of us are going to be doing, diagnosing more cases that have not become symptomatic. So the other interesting thing about this study is um, this was published in uh, 2011, and you can see in 2016 they're predicting um, about maybe 11,000 or 12,000 deaths from hepatitis C. Uh, I believe it was uh, put out by the CDC actually earlier this week, published in the New York Times, that they felt uh, that the number of deaths due to hepatitis C in 2013, so even a, a couple of years ago, was about uh, 20,000. So. Um, in this study where you're saying, really, are, are this many people really going to die uh, from hepatitis C, um, it looks like the projections, you know, here's 20,000 here. So we weren't really supposed to get up to that number, you know, for another uh, six or eight years yet. So it's, it looks like this curve is actually uh, going even more steeply than was estimated in this study. So it'll be interesting to see uh, over the next few years. Of course, we're hoping that our new drugs are going to help to take the edge off that curve, help to turn some patients away from cirrhosis, away from needing a liver transplant. Um, but 
uh, even studies from a few years ago seem to be projecting, if anything, a little low in terms of hepatitis C-related mortality. Uh, this is another uh, epidemiological uh, study that projects about uh, $9 billion in uh, hepatitis C spending, which is going to peak, they estimate, in 2024. So you can see what the curves look like for total costs, for costs for managing decompensated cirrhotics, costs for liver transplant. Um, and so, uh, of course, this was published in 2013, so the full impact of the cost of our hepatitis C therapies wasn't factored in um, to this model, but uh, I think you, you get the idea. Um, and generally, uh, it has been felt that our new therapies are cost-effective in terms of the number of quality-adjusted life years, even though they're expensive currently. Uh, we hope the prices are going to be going down, um, but they do seem to be cost-effective uh, for using in, in patients across the spectrum of disease. So that even though we know more expenses are going to come, we hope that ultimately an investment for three to six months now um, is, is going to pay off benefits uh, for our patients. So turning to the subject of um, retreatment specifically, um, in terms of general approaches to thinking about hepatitis C uh, retreatment at this point, so patients who've been treated before, failed therapy, and now you're thinking about retreating them, um, certainly it's sort of logical to think, well, you know, maybe I'll go ahead and switch to a different DAA class or, you know, if they were treated with a single active agent switch, uh, possibly treat for longer. And of course, there's always the issue of adding ribavirin if the patient was not treated with ribavirin before. Ribavirin, uh, which we've had in our hep C armamentarium for a long time, really about 18 years, still has a role, still has a role to play, particularly in you know, prior treatment failure patients, uh, cirrhotics, and, and, and we'll talk about that a little bit. But so uh, ribavirin or discussions about the use of ribavirin are another thing that comes up. So in most patients, it's important to bear in mind hep C retreatment uh, is not urgent, so that even though uh, patients um, are disappointed because we may say, hey, you have a 92, 93% chance of being cured with this regimen I'm going to give you for uh, between two and six months. So if that patient's not cured, you know, we do have uh, patients coming to us um, who, uh, you know, have the anticipation of being cured and then are not cured. So I think a lot of times we feel like we want to retreat patients uh, right away, but we should bear in mind that uh, for mo most patients it really is not going to be urgent. As well as treating uh, hep C in the setting of hepatocellular carcinoma, also controversial and uh, depends in part on control of the hepatocellular carcinoma. So uh, thinking because we know that uh, the risk of HCC 3 to 5 percent per year in our patients with cirrhosis. So we are going to see a lot of uh, hepatocellular carcinoma, um, but exactly how to use hepatitis C therapies, particularly if that hepatocellular carcinoma is new, you're working on getting it controlled, it's kind of a controversial area. Should, should patients who, who may not get their HCC managed, um, really, is there a benefit to treating them with hepatitis C? It's not clear. Um, as well as patients who are referred to or awaiting a liver transplant. Um, uh, so I would always encourage uh, anybody who's a transplant candidate, 
if you're thinking about treating that patient, definitely talk to that transplant center, come up with a plan jointly. Uh, this is true for your HIV, HCV co-infected patients as well who may be considered uh, for, for a liver transplant. Um, because it's, it's very much of a changing picture in terms of the role of viral clearance pre-transplant because, of course, um, patients who have hepatitis C uh, can be considered for higher risk donor organs. And so treatment uh, may have implications in terms of you know, which organ they would be able to accept. So it's, it's kind of an interesting area, again, very clinically active this year. So in terms of the approach of treating with a different class, um, it clearly uh, would make sense to, uh, to any of you who've been uh, managing HIV for all these years. It's effective as there's no cross-resistance uh, between classes, uh, and uh, the fact that it could be done was established by the terrific results of clinical trials in which patients who failed telaprevir or brosepravir, our protease inhibitors, were retreated with sofosbuvir and an NS5A inhibitor and did great. So again, anytime we're treating a hepatitis C patient, we're going to be going for cure. Um, so um, certainly thinking about, well, you know, I treated this patient with this class, let me just use one of these other two classes or combinations, um, that definitely makes sense. Um, NS5A resistance, which I mentioned, um, the biggest challenge in treating patients with a different uh, DAA class, because these NS5A inhibitors are a part of most of our combination regimens. Um, the, the, uh, the RAVs that come from, uh, from uh, uh, NS5, uh, resistance to NS5A tend to be pretty fit. So unlike the sofosbuvir-resistant uh, variants, which uh, particularly the S282T, which are very unfit by and large and so are seen very little in clinical practice, um, uh, these NS5A variants uh, do tend to be able to persist, and so uh, we're then figuring out about them uh, afterwards and uh, having to deal with them. Um, and they may uh, even be present before treatment. We'll go through some of those data. And um, if a patient failed an NS5A-containing regimen, um, generally they are going to have some NS5A resistance. So what about extending uh, treatment duration? So retreating patients with a longer duration of the same treatment that failed may be helpful, but again, so uh, again, as many of you who are not familiar with these data will see that we're kind of in baby steps, right? The idea that you would have a patient um, fail uh, a regimen in HIV and then you just say, well, maybe I'll just retreat that patient, see what happens. It's sort of, you know, a little, a little primitive, but we needed to figure out about, well, you know, what happens to our resistance mutations. So uh, this was a study published or uh, presented last year, patients who had failed either eight or 12 weeks of uh, the uh, sofosbuvir lidiposphere were retreated with sofosbuvir lidiposphere again for 24 weeks. And um, it worked out pretty well in patients who did not have baseline NS5A RAVs, so they were all cured. Um, but if you did have these NS5A RAVs, um, the SVR rate was only 60%. So, uh, these days, clearly, anytime a patient is uh, failing a regimen, we're going to tend to try to get that hepatitis C resistance testing to figure out which RAVs they have. Um, and this study points out that uh, that's an important strategy uh, that we need to really know what we're dealing with. So um, for a few minutes here, I just wanted to walk through um, each of the, uh, the main regimens uh, that are in clinical uh, use this year give you guys a little bit of familiarity with how they work as well as thinking about using them in a retreatment kind of a strategy. 
So um, these are the ions, one, two, and three studies. Uh, these were the phase three studies of uh, sulfosbuvir, lidiposphere, or Harvoni, plus or minus ribavirin. Uh, ion one uh, was sort of our, one of our standard uh, things that we do. We take genotype one treatment-naive patients. In this case, 16% were cirrhotic. And uh, in this case, everybody got 12 weeks of therapy, either with soft lidiposphere in the light blue bars or soft lidiposphere plus ribavirin in the turquoise bars. 12 weeks of therapy, and you can see our uh, SVR12 rates, 98% without ribavirin, 97% with ribavirin. So again, uh, these studies were all published um, several years ago, and it, they set the basis for the fact that, hey, this is a terrific treatment. So of relevance to this talk, the ION2 study uh, was of genotype 1 treatment experience patients, again, 20% cirrhotic. And so here we were using Harvoni plus or minus ribavirin, again, uh, no ribavirin in the light blue bars um, with ribavirin in the uh, turquoise bars. And uh, 12 weeks, 24 weeks with or without ribavirin, uh, you know, these prior uh, patients who had failed prior therapy um, did well. So uh, not only uh, does the soft lidiposphere combination work great in treatment-naive patients, works very well, and it's not clear that uh, patients actually, even if they failed therapy before, need to be on 24 weeks of therapy. So if we dig into ION2, so this is a, a, a slide also of the ION2 study. Remember, all these patients were treatment experienced. Um, we are dealing with about 80%, uh, 79% had genotype 1A infection, only 20% were genotype 1B, 20% cirrhotics, and 55% of patients had previously failed PEG riba plus a protease inhibitor, okay? So even in studies published several years ago, um, like ION2, we were getting experience with, you know, how does lidiposphere sulfosbuvir treat patients who had even failed a first-generation protease inhibitor, uh, many of whom were included in this study. And uh, again, they, they do uh, very well. Um, and ultimately, um, uh, you know, probably any of these regimens are reasonable. Um, we tend to try to use ribavirin these days in, in cirrhotic patients if they're being retreated in this context. Um, but uh, even patients uh, who did not have ribavirin in their regimen or who were treated for 12 weeks um, did pretty well. So um, shifting gears now to talk about um, the regimen that was uh, FDA approved in January, grisoprevir uh, plus elbosphere. Um, so uh, the, I'm going to present two trials to you. This is the C-EDGE treatment-naive trial, and then I'm also going to present the treatment experience trial. Uh, so in this trial, uh, these were um, genotype 1, 4, or 6 patients, all treatment naive, who received the combination of a protease inhibitor, uh, grisoprevir plus an uh, NS5A inhibitor, elbosphere, uh, single pill, um, 12 weeks. And uh, you can see that patients in the placebo arm were then you know, rolled over and, and ultimately received the drug uh, as well. So um, you can see genotype 1A results uh, on the left of the slide and uh, genotype 1B here. So overall, pretty good for genotype 1B, 99%. No NS5A variants at baseline, 
not much of a role of NS5A variants. Again, these are now pre-treatment. Pre All these patients are treatment naive. So that now we're getting into the realm of which NS5A variants are present even at baseline in patients. We know that overall uh, there may be about a 12% prevalence of uh, important NS5A variants in, a genotype, uh, in genotype 1A patients, particularly um, at baseline. So again, not a big role of NS5A variants among genotype uh, 1B patients. But look here at the genotype uh, 1A patients. Um, you can see that um, if they had no NS5A variant, remember there was no ribavirin, everybody was just treated for 12 weeks in this study, 99%. If they have important NS5A variants, cure rate with 12 weeks of therapy, no ribavirin, only uh, 58. If they have an important uh, baseline mutation, 22%. So, um, and clearly when we're in the era of, you know, 90 plus percent cure rates, having a, a, a new regimen that only, you know, cures small numbers of patients or less than 60%, um, uh, you know, we need to figure out how to use those better. And so um, ultimately uh, it, uh, the FDA did recommend baseline uh, resistance testing of NS5A for a genotype 1A patient who's being considered for this regimen. And uh, I'll show you some of the data in just a minute, but it turns out that um, if you have, uh, if you are in that 15%, 12% of, of genotype 1A patients who have these baseline mutations, if you add ribavirin and you treat for 16 weeks, then you ultimately do get to a, a, a very nice, you know, 97%, 98% SVR. So it's not that you can't overcome these variants, but with this regimen at least, it's important enough um, to, uh, that the FDA recommended checking at baseline. So it's been something that we spent a lot of time doing, baseline NS5A, uh, resistance testing in our uh, genotype 1A patients. Um, so let's see. So now this is, again, the same regimen, uh, grosoprevir elbosphere, but this is the C-EDGE treatment experience trial where they were looking at, okay, what can we do with 16 weeks of therapy? What can we do uh, if we add ribavirin? So um, these two uh, solid uh, yellow bars are grosoprevir elbosphere without ribavirin for 12 weeks on the left or in the darker yellow for 16 weeks. And the, uh, the shaded bars are grosoprevir elbosphere ribavirin for 12 weeks, uh, again on the left, and plus ribavirin for 16 weeks um, as this last one on the right. So again, all these patients were uh, uh, prior, uh, had uh, failed therapy previously, Again, 60% uh, were genotype 1A. Um, and um, so, uh, again, we did manage to, if, if ribavirin was added and 16 weeks of therapy, uh, you know, pick up even uh, prior partial uh, or null responders. And, uh, so, and this regimen was also uh, found to be effective for, uh, for patients who did have these baseline NS5A variants. So, uh, again, uh, you know, a, a regimen that did particularly well and uh, in uh, genotype 1B patients, there, there's not a lot of concern about uh, necessarily needing to add ribavirin in these patients, but um, we know that if, even if there's problematic NS5A mutations, that treating patients, adding ribavirin and treating for longer can overcome uh, a lot of that. And so this, these are the uh, NS5A variants in uh, C-EDGE treatment experienced. Again, we saw the same thing where there was a fall off um, with uh, the uh, genotype 1A patients who, uh, who had the NS5A variants if they were treated for shorter duration.
So uh, I'm then going to uh, shift to the third uh, regimen that's being uh, actively used, uh, the, the so-called Pro-D regimen. How can we use this in our treatment experience patients? Um, and uh, so uh, remember, this is uh, three hepatitis C uh, medications, uh, paratapravir, ombidesvir, uh, dasabuvir, with the paratapravir being boosted with uh, ritonavir. And these are treatment experience non-serotic patients. So again, of relevance to our talk, thinking about what can I do for my treatment experience patient. Um, and so uh, 1As uh, are, uh, are shown. Uh, so in the SAFFIRE-2 trial, which is uh, on the left, um, you can see genotype 1As treated with uh, uh, this regimen, the Pro-D regimen plus ribavirin, 96%. Um, uh, uh, cure rates uh, even better for genotype 1B. Um, uh, similar for uh, genotype 1B, whether you use ribavirin or not. So in treatment experience patients uh, without cirrhosis, uh, if you have genotype 1A um, and, you, uh, and you use ribavirin, you know, very nice cure rates. Genotype 1B don't even need the ribavirin. So I also wanted to present um, the data with using the Pro-D regimen in cirrhotic patients. So Turquoise 2, uh, everybody in this trial got ribavirin, a combination of genotype 1, uh, 1A and 1B patients, prior treatment failures, as well as treatment-naive patients, but everybody in this trial was cirrhotic. They were treated with the Pro-D plus ribavirin for 12 weeks, Pro-D plus ribavirin for 24 weeks. Um, and you can see that uh, a number of these patients, about 60% were prior uh, null responders to uh, uh, pegylated interferon and ribavirin. So the take-home message from Turquoise 2 was that even in compensated cirrhotics, and remember that this is one of the regimens um, that has not really been uh, found to be safe to be used in child class B and C patients, so these were all child class A patients, the take-home message was that if you had genotype 1A, which you can see overall the genotype 1A um, cure rate uh, and remember that the 12-week uh, groups are shown in the lighter blue, 24-week uh, shown in the turquoise, uh, and all of these patients receive ribavirin. You can see that the 1A responses are a bit lower here at about 89% if they were treated for 12 weeks uh, compared to 94% if they were treated for 24 weeks, particularly if you were genotype 1A and a prior null responder and were treated for only 12 weeks, you only had an 80% cure rate. So uh, this was uh, one of the reasons that this regimen, if you had those characteristics, prior null responder gene type 1A, and everybody in this trial member was cirrhotic, 24 weeks of therapy was recommended, okay? So didn't matter so much. Again, the, the, the trial worked quite well, although you can see um, w what happened with your prior response. If you were a relapser, you can see that your cure rates were more like in the 97 to 100%. Whereas if you are prior null responder to interferon and ribavirin, your, your cure rates were a little bit lower. So again, one of the uh, regimens where it's important to know what happened with the prior um, round of therapy. So I think this is uh, my, my one audience uh, response question. So I'm going to uh, ask you guys to think about what you would do with this hepatitis C uh, resistance. Um, this, uh, ho hopefully we'll get it geared up with, uh, with audience response. And then we're, we're going to briefly touch on uh, uh, the practical use of um, 
uh, multi-DAA therapy in patients who fail prior therapy. We're going to touch on a poster from EASL. I'll touch briefly on the sulfosbuvir velpatosphere data, and then, and then we're done. Okay? So um, this is the audience response uh, question. This is a patient from here in San Francisco, 55-year-old guy, uh, multiple psychiatric comorbidities, has hemochromatosis um, with the um, uh, C2A2Y homozygous, genotype 1A, non-serotic, was treated with 12 weeks of the Pro-D regimen and ribavirin, started uh, last May, so treated through last August, and then uh, shortly after treatment, so did well, cleared the virus on treatment uh, within the first couple months after treatment was found to have viral relapse, so was not cured. Resistance testing was sent, and you can see uh, that he did have some resistance mutations. In uh, NS5A, he had this uh, M28T, which pre predicted resistance to lidiposphere and umbidosphere, the umbidosphere he was treated with. Um, he did have resistance predicted to NS5B, the desabuvir that he was treated with, although uh, was not predicted to have resistance to sofosbuvir. And uh, similarly, he was treated with paratapravir, had developed a, a, a Q80K resistance or had it at baseline, um, which predicted resistance to both semeprevir and paratapravir, but not to bosepravir. So now we're going to um, uh, let people vote. Um, and so the options are for this patient, do you want to, uh, what do you want to do? Do you want to treat with soft lodiposphere plus ribavirin for 24 weeks? Um, again, retreat with the Pro-D regimen um, with ribavirin, just go for 24 weeks. Do you want to observe him for several years? Or do you want to consider uh, treating with um, soft velpatosphere plus or minus ribavirin? So really, you know, try to get him to therapy uh, soon, sometime in the next few months. So we'll let people take votes on one through four. Okay. Um, okay, so we see 24% uh, would uh, favor giving a try with Harvoni. And again, he, he likely would be, uh, would be sensitive to the sofosbuvir to at least, um, going for 24 weeks. Um, Looks like about 10% would observe him. Some, uh, about 10% consider retreating, but the majority thinking of going ahead and, and moving on to um, uh, soft velpatosphere plus minus ribavirin. I'll show you some data uh, for that um, here in just a minute. Um, I, I think uh, probably, uh, you know, any of these approaches are reasonable, and the funny thing with hep C, you may be successful treating him with uh, just the Harvoni. The sofosbuvir is potent enough. I think in general, I would favor one of the uh, last two choices. And um, the other thing is this guy's non-serotic. So in terms of, again, thinking about do we need to treat him right now? What's going to happen to these resistance mutations over time? It's not something we really know. We'd suspect they'd be there again if you didn't treat him for a couple years and then recheck them. But they likely will be uh, less less prevalent. So it's possible that, you know, giving treatment right away, you may be dealing with uh, a, a virus that may have been partly naturally, naturally outcompeted as time goes on. But these are tr things that we're trying to figure out. So um, this is uh, a study that was presented just a couple weeks ago at our liver meeting in Easel in Barcelona. Um, so this is a real-world study from Europe of 310 patients um, who were treated with the these current generations of oral therapies, but were not cured, okay? Most of the patients were genotype 1, about 63%, whereas 22% were 
were gene type 3. Um, and they often receive treatment for 12 weeks, but about a quarter receive treatment for 24 weeks. These are the regimens that they failed. Um, you can see uh, Simsofen ribavirin. So again, this is a regimen from um, a couple of years ago. Uh, 55 patients were treated with Simsof plus or minus ribavirin. You can see that those are uh, mostly uh, genotype 1 patients. If you look across the genotypes in this, uh, across these rows in the middle, 114 were Harvoni plus or minus ribavirin failures, Ledipasvir, Sofosbuvir, most of these being genotype 1 patients, but uh, some, about 13% uh, being uh, uh, genotype 3. Um, many of these patients failed to Cladosphere, Sofosbuvir, plus or minus ribavirin. You can see that this is a regimen that was used um, in, uh, in Europe. Uh, a bit more. We haven't really used uh, decladosphere so, so much in the United States for uh, genotype 1, but you can see that more of these patients are actually genotype 1. The, the PRO-D regimen, 30 uh, patients were like our patient who, who uh, was not cured by this regimen, 90% um, genotype 1, and of course uh, it's also active against genotype 4. And on the other hand, we have the soft riba patients uh, who were who not cured, 55% um, were genotype 3. 45% um, genotype 2. And so, um, again, this is kind of where our field is at now. So um, these patients were not cured by these regimens. Um, let's see what their viruses look like, the type of sequencing that we're ordering now. Um, and so this is 195 genotype 1 patients and 69 genotype 3 patients. You can see the mutations that they had. Um, some of the genotype 1 patients actually didn't really seem to have any mutations. None were found. Some had all the way up to all three uh, combinations. Six patients had all three similar to our patient. Um, a reasonable number had only that NS5A, and uh, also a reasonable number had a protease plus an NS5A. Um, in genotype 3 patients, uh, interestingly, um, 61% of patients actually um, had no mutations. So these were often patients who had been treated with sofosbuvir and ribavirin. So again, sofosbuvir rarely actually results in uh, mutational changes. So um, again, it'll be interesting to see. We're really just figuring out what resistance do we really see. And again, this is a European cohort, um, but it's interesting to us to think that these patients all failed DAA therapies and 60% actually had no resistance mutations. So these are important studies to do. Um, and the, the data are pretty preliminary in terms of what happens if you retreat these patients or what do you retreat them with. Um, and so um, if patients failed um, Harvoni uh, uh, or Decladosphere Sof in genotype 1, they would be retreated with Simsof for 12 weeks, Simsof for 24 weeks the pro-D regimen for 12 or 24 weeks. And again, only preliminary data were available, but many of these patients uh, who were treated with these regimens, for example, even if they failed Harvoni or Decladosphere Sof, if they were retreated with pro-D, many were cured, okay? So it, uh, it is uh, gonna be reasonable, and uh, this other group is genotype 3, uh, soft riba failures, retreated often with uh, Decladosphere soft riba, again, with reasonable success. So um, this is what, one of the things that we're going to figure out over time uh, as we have our new regimens is, uh, you know, when should we be using the best thing that we have available versus, um, versus waiting for additional therapies. So these, uh, I have this slide and, and one more. 
So uh, this is uh, the next thing on the horizon, so Fosbuvir Velpatosphere. Velpatosphere uh, is going to be a terrific NS5A inhibitor for us, plus or minus ribavirin. These are the astral trials, uh, astral 1, uh, genotypes 1, 2, 4, 5, and 6. Astral 2, 266 only genotype 2 patients, comparing the efficacy of soft Velpatosphere here to uh, soft and ribavirin for 12 weeks. Astral 3 being a genotype 3 study, uh, comparing soft Velpatosphere to soft and ribavirin for 24 weeks, which is uh, considered, considered the standard of care in Europe. Astral 4 in decompensated patients, which I'm not going to touch on. And uh, so, again, these uh, papers were published uh, in the New England J Journal toward the end of last year. Um, there were a lot of baseline uh, NS5A RAVs on deep sequencing, up to 40% of patients in Astral 1 uh, uh, had RAVs at baseline, and you can see the cure rates. Again, Astral 1 didn't have genotype 3 patients. The cure rate was 98%, 206 out of 210 in genotype 1A patients, also terrific in genotype uh, 1B, and uh, uh, across the board, really nice efficacy. So, it, uh, so um, and specifically, um, when we're looking at uh, oh, sorry, let me just uh, initially show you Astral 3. Uh, so this is the correct distribution of the uh, Astral 3 uh, data with soft uh, Velpatosphere in the uh, uh, purple bars, soft ribavirin for 24 weeks. Uh, and uh, so remember, this is a, a genotype 3 study, um, and we can see that, uh, again, soft Velpatosphere was uh, a lot better in cirrhotics, a lot better in prior treatment experience patients. And again, uh, you know, th this, these are difficult patients. So even though um, the, uh, the efficacy was lower in patients with baseline NS5A RAVs, about 88% compared to 97%, um, uh, it looks like this is going to pick up uh, particularly the, the most worrisome NS5A uh, mutation, which we refer to as Y93H. Um, it looks, I think it was about 80% of patients with Y93H going into this study um, were cured by sofosbuvir velpatosphere. So uh, I'd like to thank you for your attention. Fortunately, uh, with cure rates of 92% for, or 92% plus for most patients, the current therapies are often successful. So hopefully we're not going to need to think about uh, retreatment uh, in a large number of patients. Um, uh, most patients who have not been cured by a DAA regimen will undergo RAV testing, which will inform the choice of their next Hep C regimen. Hep C retreatment is not urgent for many patients, um, but for example, decompensated cirrhotics, uh, you may really need to treat them. And again, soft is ultimately probably going to have a special role in retreatment, um, but we have even better things to come, I think. So again, thanks for your attention. Thank you, thank, you very, thank you very much. Um, I'm probably the only one in the room who's going to have to go home and just practice pronouncing all these new drugs over and over again. You do an incredible job. Um, we have lots of really good questions. You know, we're running very uh, close to being over. And so I'm going to sort of maybe limit some of the questions that deal with other issues and uh, HCV infection, because I think the focus really was on the retreatment issues. Uh, one question was that you don't really talk about race, and many of the studies to me looked like they were predominantly white. Um, could you comment on the, in the re, on the race and retreatment and mm -hmm. some of these other factors that we were sort of concerned about in early treatments? 
Yeah. So um, one of the good uh, uh, pieces of information, uh, the good things that we found with our current uh, therapies is that African-American patients who often did have lower response rates um, to particularly pegylated interferon uh, and ribavirin um, really seem to have pretty equivalent um, response rates uh, with our current agents. So just like uh, HIV, HCV co-infected patients, if we can work out the drug-drug interactions, they, they do great by and large on, uh, on uh, several of these regimens. Um, African-American patients also um, do very well. Now, um, you know, I think what you see in the data that I presented as well is we have the initial clinical trials um, where you know, patients uh, seem to always do better than they, than they do in clinical practice. And, and now we're in a period where, uh, as the regimens sort out, we're learning more about them. It, it does seem um, that uh, African-Americans are uh, a bit overrepresented in patients who are, who are not cured. It, it may be uh, partly regimen-specific, uh, it seems like ribavirin may have a little bit more of a role in African-American patients. So I think we're starting to be a little concerned that there may, uh, African-Americans uh, in particular, may be a group that's, uh, you know, maybe not being cured at the same, uh, at the same level as, uh, as other patient populations. But it, it's, it's still pretty early to, to see if it's a big risk factor. And many of the, of the salvage regimens or retreatment regimens, I should say, use ribavirin. And so what dose range of ribavirin? Is it a high dose? Mm -hmm. um, so I think, uh, as many of you are familiar with who've used ribavirin, the standard dosing of ribavirin is 1,000 milligrams or 5 pills um, if you're less than 75 kilos or 1,200 milligrams if you're more than 75 kilos. And so that's still the standard, uh, the standard way that it's dosed uh, when it's used um, in uh, uh, treatment failure patients. Now, we do have a little bit more literature um, on in, in the decompensated cirrhotics where they're not really going to tolerate that much ribavirin due to the anemia. Um, some of those retreatment regimens start at 600 milligrams and then kind of work up just, again, because patients uh, aren't, aren't able to tolerate a full dose. So it's basically either the 1,000, 1,200, or in the child pew class B and C patients, we often are starting at 600. Okay. You know, many of the other questions are really superb. I think Dr. Monto may will be around for a few minutes after the at the end, and so I think rather than than addressing some of the other questions, which again all of which are excellent, I'm going to go ahead and thank Dr. Monto for his presentation at this point. Thank you.